0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. And we are live on video and you can see that. Anyway, with me, I have a new contributor. Let's say hi to David Neal. How are you doing, David?
1: Hey, I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm glad to have you. I'm glad to have you. For those who may or may not remember, we talked to David a little over a year ago on episode 200 of Views on View. Um, he is the, uh, well-known artist and dad joke purveyor, which is even more awesome for me. Um, I had initially heard of David when he was discussing how he learned to draw to make his, uh, presentations more engaging at conferences and, and the impact that that had and, he does a, quite a bit of stuff in terms of his work and his drawing and his dad jokes. So uh, why don't you give us some background, David, <laughs> talk a little bit about just sort of an introduction again, for those that might not have listened to the last one about yeah. all those things and who you are and what you do. Yep.
1: Well, my name is David Neal. I've been a software developer for quite a long time. I got, um, <clears throat> I got started building applications back on visual basic and uh pascal turbo pascal oh and all the all that kind of stuff um when the the web started taking off in the 90s i jumped on board and started building web applications with you know what we now refer to as classic asp um, and then um active server pages became um I did VB script and, and also J started learning JavaScript, you know, and using it both front end and back end. And then ASP.NET came along and I jumped on that and was a ASP.NET and C sharp developer, SQL server, all that kind of stuff for, for many, many years. And so since the nineties, I have been a web developer. Uh, Primarily throughout my career, I've, I've worn a lot of hats, been in a lot of different kinds of roles, um, but have always stayed true to building web apps and using JavaScript, uh, you know, for better or worse. And uh, throughout its uh, years of growing pains and um, about 10 years ago, I switched to Node.js and have been using that as my primary uh, platform for building a lot of not only web applications, but desktop applications as well, using Electron. And, uh, I've, I've used a number of front end frameworks, you know, starting with jQuery and MooTools and things back in the day to, uh, let's see, what was it? Uh, Backbone and Marionette and, Mm -hmm. uh, Knockout and, you know, uh, React came along and I, I used that for many years. And then, uh, when Vue came out, it, it seemed like the, I don't know, it was like the most comfortable thing, um, that I had used to date. It like brought all the, the great ideas from other frameworks that I liked and, um, just felt like, felt like coming home. And that's what, that's been my go to. For front-end web development now for for the last several years.
0: Yeah, that boy that brings back some memories. I uh, I started. I can remember using BASIC on a Commodore 64 in high school, and then I can remember going to college late '80s and typing my economics thesis on all DOS WordPerfect. And but a couple of programming classes I took at school. Was basic, you know, just straight basic, yep. and I can't remember what computers were used. Um, and then Turbo Pascal, um, and so I was curious: did you ever do much uh, production stuff with Turbo Pascal?
1: I sure did. Um, uh, it was Pascal was one of the languages I learned when I was in college, uh, which I was using the Commodore sixty four mm-hmm. to write a lot of my papers and things, and I'd go yep. to the computer labs to work on. Uh, computer science projects. Um, I seem to. Sometimes it feels like I'm in the minority that I I actually have a computer science degree. When so many people in tech um, come from other backgrounds, which I think is awesome. Um, so many different journeys of people that got into computers and tech who are um, from all different walks and and uh, backgrounds, but. Yeah, I got started learning BASIC on TRS-80 and and then um, the Commodore 64. But my first, I guess, real job, if you want to call it that, out of college was working for a software company in tech support. And the company actually, their their product was built using Pascal. They used Borland Pascal and TurboVision and some other uh, tools around that, so it was a kind of more, slightly more professional, I guess, than than just your your Turbo Pascal. Um, and I use my Pascal skills to write utilities and things to automate some tasks in tech support. I started uh, contributing to some of the internal tools that we had that. Um, Managed our CRM, we used Dbase and, uh, that was shared across a peer to peer network system. And yeah, I, I built uh, quite a few things that were kind of production, you know, kind of real. Um, they were real apps <laughs> that I and other folks used. And that was my, my gateway into, um, you know, doing more and more programming.
0: Yeah, I can remember doing Pascal. And the that was the only time I ended up using it was in my college course. Uh, I never did end up using it in a in a production environment, probably because I didn't really get into programming full time for another fourteen, fifteen years. Um, but yeah, I can still remember that, and it amazes me. I look back now. I remember I had so much problems just understanding arrays. I didn't understand what arrays were. Couldn't get quite get my head around it for some reason. And you know, now I've, I've used them for years and and pretty good at them. But yeah. And then uh, I remember getting into VB, um, what'd you call VBA, Visual Basic uh, for Applications inside of Microsoft Access Databases. I was like, oh, this is cool what you can do here, you know, and using some access and then never really did a little bit of VB6 when I was at Freightliner. Yeah, that's kind of
1: how I got started with VB myself was was VBA. Um, uh But I do remember in college, uh recursions, uh, recursive functions were what really threw me for
0: a loop. Oh, yeah. B- <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, I don't have my sound effects here like I did in our old system yet. So I got to, otherwise I'd throw one there for you.
1: Yeah, but VBA was, was kind of like my introduction to Visual Basic. And um, I, I guess I started using Visual Basic itself around version 3. So there was VBA in Excel five, I think, and um, some of the engineers. I I did a lot of IT stuff in the in the nineties. I didn't become a full time programmer for a while, Uh, but but that was my introduction to Visual Basic, which later turned into VB three, VB four, VB five, and six. And I used Access and SQL Server and other things to to build some apps
0: yeah now, i can remember asp being the first sort of scripting language i chose i went the php route um never really got into the asp side of things just because uh there was supposedly a position coming open at my company for a php mysql person i was like this is cool i got to learn it and learned it but then the job never materialized and but i knew it anyway and so i went from there i remember about When was this? 2017. Uh, I got hired at a company and we were converting from some very old Microsoft stuff to uh, a Drupal front end and using Apache Solar as a back end. But I had to convert from a classic ASP app um, running on, I want to say, SQL Server 2000 and... Something else that Microsoft wasn't going to be supporting at all if they hadn't already been not supporting it for a few years, so we uh I'm trying to read it going uh yeah, we ended up bringing in the retired developers who had written it to come help me just interpret what it was doing it it could quick you know along with similar to other
1: scripting languages, it could quickly devolve into some very spaghetti type code that was so hard to to follow and and, you know, because you got your templating and, you know, the syntax and everything was just all jammed together. It was so hard uh-huh. to, to to make heads or tails out of what was, what was going on. Yeah, that was the fun days.
0: Well, that was the same thing with PHP. And it is still to this day how you can mix HTML with PHP. And so you really yeah. have to work to separate your concerns, you know, have your code here and then your templating here and just your variables. And, you know, the CMS is like Drupal and WordPress do that. Quite a lot. But yeah, that's that's the risk of having something very flexible like that if you can make one jumbled mess very quickly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I started developing a, a lot of uh, my own kind of practices in in separating the code from the, the HTML and and things just to make it more manageable and maintainable. That was one of the reasons why I switched to Jscript. I was following this guy named James Shaw back in the day uh, who was writing a lot of Jscript. Um, instead of VB script. And I just liked the syntax. And I liked the, the fact that, you know, the JScript and the JavaScript were so very similar and I could just focus on the one language. And that, that really appealed to me. And that's, that's what appealed to me later on with Node.js is being able to use JavaScript, you know, across, you know, all the, all the code that you needed to touch.
0: Yeah, I think the term there is isomorphic, right? Where you can use the same language uh, all the way across. Yeah. For sure. And then, so then you got into Node. So just curio- curious, side note here. Um, the other podcast I'm on, JavaScript Jabber, we just recorded an episode that has not been released yet on Bun. JS, have you seen Bun? Yeah. And it's supposedly a new runtime that has, some stuff built in and I'm not a node developer, so I really can't make a comparison. Have you uh, done any comparison or contrasting between the two? I've played around with it a little bit.
1: Like I'm subscribed to several JavaScript and Node.js newsletters, uh, weekly, you know, emails. And so I I keep up on the news of Bun. And each time I see that there's a new release, I'll go and update the one I have installed Mm -hmm. and, i'll I'll play around with it a little bit, and you know I can see that in some cases it it could be a lot faster like some of the things I read about it is like it can be much much faster in mm-hmm. um, executing building projects and executing code but you know I, at the same time i I hear of you know there's still edge cases and things that that still break when been using it so I've I've shied away from it just to you know see how it uh matures and and uh you know maybe someday I'll I'll try taking a some of my own projects and switch them over to Bun just to see if it's a good experience or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's still fairly new but somewhat uh solid. I can't remember what the release is. Uh like I said I haven't don't know it well enough to say I just read quite the conversation on JavaScript Java the other day. So that'll be an interesting uh, episode to listen to. So now you mentioned uh, using Vue. What other frameworks, had you looked at any other frameworks or you said it came from React, right? So any other frameworks you looked at before diving into Vue?
1: Yeah. React was the, the more recent. Um, before that I was using Aurelia for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, A fan of Rob Eisenberg and the work that he had done. Um, He had done some stuff, I think Caliburn and um, I forget what else, but I I knew him to be a very smart person. And so I, I ran into him at a conference years ago and we got to talking about his Aurelia project. And like, that sounds really great. I think I'll, I'll give that a try, and so I used that on on two or three web projects, and and enjoyed that. Um, And I probably would have stayed with it for a while, but uh, the company, startup company I was working for, decided to to go with React. And like, well, it's important for me to learn React, and I I like the principles with React. Um, I like some of the disciplines there, and I like the you know the shadow dom and all the stuff that they were doing around optimizing the uh, rendering process but the the message passing and the there were so many things about it that just s- still seemed like you know created a lot of friction for me and it was hard for me to to wrap my head around or or to have a a fun time building apps you know it's like i continued to have a little bit of frustration and I didn't, didn't like that feeling. And, but when, when I got a hold of view and started using that, I, I really, it really clicked with me before Aurelia. I, I'm guessing I, I was still using backbone, maybe, maybe knockout. um, because I think I dabbled with knockout for a for a little
0: while yeah now what did those do now i was when I was using Drupal, I always knew that backbone was built in it was something you could use and then they started incorporating jQuery too but what it was backbone like a server side thing or was that client side what did it yeah it was client what did it do side. for you okay.
1: yes, and it was a kind of a templating based approach to building front end um the, you know, um, executable, um, spa type apps, I guess Mm -hmm. it was the early days of, of spa and, and figuring out, um, so it was, it was more of a framework, I guess you would say on some patterns around JavaScript templates and and things. It's been so long now. I don't, I don't hardly, (laughs) I don't hardly remember.
0: Right, right. Uh so you came probably like me you came in with Vue 2.0 was yes. The current yeah, same here. I came in when it was Vue 2. I came from the Angular side of things. Angular was a real um framework that I had seen and it had worked in using what is now called Angular JS. If it's, I can't even remember if it's even supported. I heard a podcast about Angular the other day. I can't yeah. remember if that's even supported anymore. What's called 1.0, right? Yeah, I looked at Angular
1: back when it, it first came out, and that was um, that was something I, I wanted. I wanted to find something that w- that wasn't Angular because what what I saw <laughs> in Angular, I didn't I didn't really like, and um, that was one of the reasons why I would I used Aurelia is because that seemed to me at the time the best alternative
0: to Angular. Right. Yeah, our Angular 1 is pretty confusing. Um, I can remember trying to use it and understand how everything all fit together. And uh, I got, I did a bunch of work with Angular 1 with a platform called Form.io, which was a really neat platform. It's got some really cool stuff that you can do with forms. Um, but I remember the one benefit it had was, was exposing me to services and the concept of services. Because I remember when Drupal 8 came out and they started talking about services with Symfony and everything was Symphony based. I was like, I know what those are. I know exactly how those work based on what I had learned, you know, from the Angular world. But but like you said, once I got into to View and you know, the single file component structure and and your codes here and your templating here, and this is how it all fits together and 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 stuff like that. I was like, "Oh, this makes a lot of sense to me." That was just a lot easier and more um, instinctive. I guess is the best word yeah. uh, to um, to put it. But um, and now, have you ever worked into had the opportunity to get into Vue three?
1: Yeah. So you know. the last few projects I've done, especially with Electron, uh, I've used Vue
0: three. Okay, so Electron, just for people who don't know, is sort of the one of the more well-known tools I think for creating cross-platform apps, yes. so that you could run on Android or iOS or on the web. I think two of the more. Oh,
1: no, so Electron is strictly for desktop apps. Oh, it's, so oh, it's he, desktop? I thought it was phone apps as well for some reason. Yeah, No, it's um, it's for I building apps it. that are. Um, That run on Mac, Windows, or Linux. That's right. Okay, that's right. And um, it's if if you use Visual Studio Code, which a lot of folks do now, that is an Electron application.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that. So it was Slack.
1: Yep, Slack, and there's a there's lots of others, Um, but it's it's essentially Node.js and Chromium, which is the UI rendering. Component of Chrome, right. so the two of those are kind of married together with uh, Node.js glue to uh, to give you a, an en- development environment where you can use HTML, CSS, and JavaScript to build your desktop applications. And in some cases, you you can't tell the difference um, that an app is built with web technologies than
0: uh, than a native app. So I haven't had an opportunity to write anything Electron. Are you, so is it basically, let's say you want to write something in Vue, are you creating a Vue project and it incorporates Electron and then Electron generates your your final output that is what's actually put on your computer or are you actually writing Electron-specific code or how exactly does that work? Yeah,
1: You. so you'll start with an Electron project and then you can bring in Vue as a, framework to give you the uh, a better experience for building the UI for the electron project and there are some project templates out there um, a, a great place to start is there's a, a resource out there called uh, awesome electron I think yeah. it is uh-huh. which you know just gives you the entire <laughs> catalog of just about anything and everything electron. And there's a number of like boilerplate or starter projects. And uh, some of those are based on View, where you can say, okay, I'm going to clone this and this will be my starting point for building a desktop application with uh, the view that I'm
0: comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The awesome, uh, what's the term I'm using? Structure is used for uh, quite a number of things. There's an awesome view as well uh, that just, they're basically just sort of catalogs of all the different um, resources that are out there for a particular uh, for a particular framework or tool set, you know, libraries and educational resources and tool sets and you name it. So if, if you're into a particular project, um, you know, look up the awesome whatever it is, and generally you'll find, it. and there are GitHub repos, is what they are. Uh, yep, like I said View has one called Awesome View uh, that's under the Vue.js namespace itself. Um, and I'll put the link in here as soon as I can find my window, but yeah, those are great resources for learning that kind of stuff. And yeah, there's our awesome view, awesome, <laughs> no pun intended. Sorry, didn't mean to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're, it. yeah, so we were talking ahead of time about what you're doing now, uh, which seems to, uh, delve into a different world. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm getting into something totally, uh, mostly new. Um, so over the years, I have done a lot of work with databases and I even spent, many years doing data warehousing which is a a very different skill set or different approach to working with data than than your traditional transactional systems so
0: it's basically a uh, very large huge sets of data is what it is yeah very
1: very large sets of data so there's different approaches to how you model that data how you structure it how you um, optimize it so that it's more it's easier to query and and create reports and create analysis and and all that kinds of stuff. So I, I have like this old school knowledge of how of data warehousing. Uh, so the but I've always been really interested in databases. Um, so I recently joined a startup company uh, called Mother Duck, and it is a a really fun. Platform for doing data analysis, um, reporting, analytics, all the all the kind of data um, diving things you may want to do with you know whatever kinds of sets of data you have, and it's based on a, a an open source product called DuckDB. DuckDB is if you if you're familiar with SQLite. Uh, which is like this really extremely portable database that you can plug into your, you know, maybe your build process or for doing offline stuff or for playing around with data locally. Uh, it, SQLite is, is a transactional type database where DuckDB is a, a similar, extremely lightweight, portable database engine for doing analytics, uh, so it, it's, it's perfect for doing any kind of analysis and querying, data science stuff. A lot of um, folks in the data community are using DuckDB to do uh, analytics on their machine. The, 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 the thing is that, you know, today our machines are so powerful and are underutilized for uh, the work that, that we can do on them. So DuckDB is taking advantage of that, and Mother Duck is the cloud version of DuckDB where you can, you can run data on your local machine. You can have it in the cloud. You can connect with other, other folks who are sharing data, and yeah, it's a pretty cool platform.
0: So is DuckDB at its heart? Is it a SQL? Database then, or is it?
1: For yeah, SQL on
0: steroids or a, a version of it. Yeah, it's it's based on
1: standard SQL. So if you understand the you know ANSI SQL language, it's got all the same commands and constructs uh, of the SQL language. But it has DuckDB has some cool things built into it where it can read read and write CSV, Excel. Uh, it can read like all kinds of different data formats natively. There's there's an extension system so that you can plug in other features and capabilities that um, that may not exist. So if you're if you have data that's in Amazon or Azure or Google, you can you can use the uh, tools that are built into DuckDB to to query that data directly. Um, and it's, it's very, it's like unbelievably fast and, and powerful for leading, reading gigabytes of, of
0: data. Okay. So basically what you're saying is you can plug into a data source and use SQL language on that data, even though it's not in a SQL table yep. structure.
1: Yeah. So I if would you just, have like a. Like, like if you download, say you got Stack Overflow has uh, a download that's gigabytes in size and you want to, like, figure out what are some of the the top questions or the most popular things or, you know, there's some kind of analysis you want to do on that, that huge data set. Um, you don't have to build any kind of apps to, like, Convert that data into a database or anything like that. You can use DuckDB to to query against that data directly.
0: Hmm. Well, that's, and you can do it just locally mm-hmm. instead of something that runs locally. Yep. On your machine, and it's pretty lightweight. Is it? Is it like embeddable? Then you have, it Would is. You embed it in a product like you do SQLite.
1: Yep. You sure can. Uh, so there's lots of folks who are in. There's even a, a DuckDB Wasm, so you can run it in the browser and and use it as a query tool in the browser.
0: So, how would you use it in the browser, querying just some remote data source, then, or some local data source?
1: Yeah, you can you can uh, use paths to query data locally or load in stuff from, like, say, a HTTP endpoint. It can query APIs. It can query uh, files that are stored on other web servers. Uh, the It's got pretty powerful capabilities.
0: But I would assume that it's got to be in some sort of readable format, right? Something that, you know, you know, give me this from this. Okay, what are the definitions of my columns or rows or data sources, right? Yeah, so
1: it has a lot of intelligence built into it. So when you, like, consume a, a CSV file it can infer from the structure of the CSV um, what your data types are and column names and and all that kind of stuff. So you don't have to define any of that unless you you really have to.
0: So even if you said, let's say you're using a CSV and you pass it in without, you know, the first row being names, then somehow it's going to determine from the data itself, oh, this is this kind of data or this kind of data?
1: yeah uh, I mean you may get some generic uh, column names if you don't uh, specify you know what you want those columns to be named if there's no first row that that defines the names of the columns but it will it'll infer from the data that's in the columns
0: what the data types are interesting is that using AI that sounds like an AI toward sort of tool either that or a heck of a lot of code well this looks like it, this so let's use this and a lot of regexes <laughs> or something
1: yeah i don't i don't know the internals of it but it seems to be with everything that i've tried it on so far it's been really smart
0: Hmm. so now you said data science so how about give us i've never looked this up what's a good definition of data science um
1: that, that is a good question that's something that I'm also learning i'm I'm like I said I'm new to a lot of these things So data science it, at least my perspective is that people who are, who are using it for research who are like tapping into uh data collected on say uh, populations or um, scientific uh measurements and and things to like come up with answering questions about how to solve problems in, in the world of science.
0: Hmm. Yeah, we hired uh, at my company, we deal with mounds and mounds of, of government contracting data. Uh, And so we brought a, a data science guy in, and that's all he works on is that, and funneling it into AI and designing models, and all this stuff that allows us to say, okay, this is all the patterns we're getting from this data, and sort of allow us to try to be predictive, so yeah, based on past data. This is what we're going to see, or this is what we're going to do, or you know, doing a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, so, data uh,
1: science. Data science probably involves a lot of statistical analysis and
0: math yes, that that yes.
1: Uh, <laughs> I don't yet know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just to hear him talk. Well, I'm doing this and this, and I say, "Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Keep doing it." Uh, just you know, I like playing with data itself, and and I'm you know, most of my years I've been in a SQL uh, environment, so I'm very comfortable with querying data and tying it together and updating it and all that kind of stuff. Mongo, not so much, just because it's harder and not quite as flexible when it comes. Uh, to querying across collections because that's you know it's not how it's designed to be, but uh, yeah, data can be fun. You've only sort of got to be geeky to uh, to uh, to get into it. No insult there, but I consider myself a geek just for liking playing with data and getting it all pieced together and figuring out what it's doing and stuff. So, but that's cool. So, how do you get into? You mentioned that you didn't have a lot of training and stuff. Is it? Do you get it? get into it more just because you've got your practical experience with development in general and, and decide, this is, Hey, this is a route I want to go down.
1: Yeah. So I've, like I said, I've been a long time SQL nerd. I, I like databases. And so the two things that, uh, that really attracted me to the to mother duck in particular is one, it involves SQL. It involves looking at data something that I used to do a lot of and would enjoy uh diving back into again uh-huh. the data analytics and the new data science world with ai and um and and the advancements that have been made around modeling and everything that's that's uh interesting to me and the other thing is mother duck is like that's a that's a fun uh <laughs> brand to to work with, because it's, you know, there's ducks, there's duck puns, there's, oh, yeah they, they don't, you know, as a company, we don't take ourselves too seriously and we like to have fun. So I, that's right up my alley.
0: <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I was thinking, um, I was looking for this and they're hard to find anymore. But back when I was like in high school, there was this whole series of uh, duck shirts um the one that i always remembered i had two of them uh one was the probably the most famous one was one that said mallard justed and it showed a duck with his head like spun around backwards (laughs) right and i had one (laughs) another one said just another bill and it shows a duck standing at the mailbox uh and there's a bill sticking out of it you know supposed to be like a financial bill there's a whole four or five of them and they were awesome i love those so much um And I've tried, I actually came across, I was at a store, like a tourist, you know, souvenir store down at the coast, the Oregon coast one time, and somebody had a whole ton of them. And I should have bought them all right then and there. Stuck them on my credit card, but I didn't. And I wish I had. So awesome. (laughs) They were great. So what kinds of, uh, speaking of puns, while thinking about this, uh, one of the things that you have published within the last, what, two years, one year, is your book of dad jokes? Yep. And uh, what's it called again? It's called The Illustrated Book of Dad Jokes. Dad Jokes. So talking about illustration, we mentioned this before, and you talked about it. Can you just sort of give us a brief history of your uh, drawing skills and how that started and how you developed them and and how amazing that's been for you to be able to do that?
1: <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, Thirteen or fourteen years ago, I started getting involved in the developer community and um, helping out with a um, meetup in Nashville, Tennessee where I used to live and started um, being encouraged and you know seeing other speakers come in and give presentations I finally got up the courage to start giving my own talks and speaking at conferences and um, as I got better as a speaker, I was looking for ways to be a more effective speaker, ways to like, how how can I express, you know, more of my own style of humor or make my talks more fun and engaging? And I came across uh, this, this guy named Dan Rome, who uh, wrote a book called Show and Tell. And it's about how you can use really simple hand drawn graphics like lines and arrows and stick figures and just basic shapes you know he made it he made it look and you know uh, helped me to realize that it doesn't take much to make a presentation much more fun and engaging and i thought man i i really want to do that so i started drawing to to augment my slides in the presentations I was giving and I fell in love with it and I started drawing more and more and that became like a hobby. And n- now it's, it's kind of a, a side business for me. I, I draw illustrations for uh, social media, for blog posts, for books. Um, I do logos and graphic design and all kinds of things now that, that are a direct result of me like I just want to figure out how to how I can communicate better and and be more entertaining. And um, so in 2021 I took on a a personal challenge to draw a dad joke every day and it started with like hey I want to I wonder if I could do this for a month. And so I I did it for a month straight. And like I was having so much fun with it. I was getting so much great feedback. I decided just, well, I wonder how long I could I can continue to do this. And I ended up drawing a dad joke every day for a year. Three hundred and sixty-five illustrations. And um throughout the year, people would be asking me, Can I get a copy of these? Can I get a you know, get a book of these or a calendar or whatever? And so I eventually turned it into, I took 250 of my favorite ones, turned it into a book, and uh, published it on Amazon.
0: Right. Yeah. I just put up the link uh, here on the screen uh, that's from your site, reverentgeek.com. And there's the whole page there on on the illustrated book of dad jokes and a link to get it on Amazon if you want to get it. So those of you who've listened to the show know that I am a, regular purveyor of dad jokes some worse than others but uh to the discipline and i try to do one i do about five days a week you know i put one in my work slack and on twitter and on facebook um but i uh, haven't done i usually don't publish one seven days of a week <laughs> <laughs> um so that's 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 pretty awesome that's pretty awesome so yeah the link's out there reverendgeek.com and you can see the link to amazon from there if you want to to buy it that almost screams like uh Here's for a desk calendar,
1: yeah, yeah, I the uh, it was a desk calendar that actually sm- was my inspiration uh, to begin with. Like when mm-hmm. I first I got a a dad joke desk calendar um, for Christmas, and that's what was like. Oh, these are great! I I I would love to draw that, and so I borrowed. I would take some of the, the ones that were in that calendar and I would tweak them in ways that, oh, if I change the the wording or the context of this, um, it would make for a, a funnier visual. Um, and that's what I would do is like, r- rarely did I create my own dad jokes. Uh, I would just go looking for d- dad jokes and, and I would see one that was good, but then I would always put my own spin on it to like, Oh, it, but if we had, if I changed it around or did this tweak to it, it would make for a better visual pun or a visual gag. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's how some of the, a lot of those came about.
0: Yeah, you definitely, I think I could spot your style in, in the middle of other people because I've looked at so many of your, your drawings and stuff. You certainly have a, uh, your own style. I think when it comes to in terms of lines and and shapes and way you draw things, yeah, for sure. I think you're on, what you do it on Instagram, right? Are you Reverent Geek on Instagram and yep. Twitter and everybody reverent, else?
1: Yep, Reverent Geek everywhere.
0: So where does that where did that username come from? The, at least the the geek part I get, um, but the the reverent part, where does that come from?
1: Yeah, well that that harkens back to. um I used to do a lot of web hosting for um uh, nonprofits churches uh ministries um and I, I ran this free web hosting service for for years mm. where I provided that uh, uh for for hundreds of of organizations and individuals and that was a lot of fun I, I got to meet a lot of folks through that. And um, so for, for years, I was kind of, my identity, online identity was kind of, uh, in, in you know, surrounded her, uh, was was wrapped up in that, that uh, hosting. And uh, that was also tied to ASP.NET. And as I kind of looked into the future and like, well, I don't know that I'm going to be an ASP.NET developer. My for the rest of my life and I don't know that I'm going to be doing this hosting, you know, this may not even be a thing anymore, you know, in the future. So I decided to change my, my own personal brand to be, um, to reverent geek and that, that kind of like hinted to my, you know, my personal, uh, you know, faith and, and my, uh, View of, of humanity and no uh, pun intended. And, and um, uh, and, uh, you know, to, to like give hints towards, you know, I, I really want to be, uh, a, a positive impact on society and the development world and, and all those things. So that's, uh, that was the, you know, kind of the, the best of the two, those two things together.
0: Cool. Cool. Yeah. I always get asked about, everybody has uh, interesting histories of their, you know, their nicknames. Some are just their name and it's like, okay, well, I get that one. But <laughs> uh, I've, I've heard some other really interesting uh names. Mine is Wonder95 and it's I think I've described this before, but when you grow up in the seventies and eighties and your name is Steve, you're going to get called Stevie wonder quite a bit. And, (laughs) uh, you know, just, it was par for the course, you know, it comes with the territory, whatever euphemism you want to use. And, uh, my first software job, I started like you doing tech support, um, for a banking software company. And, Somebody there started calling me wonder said, do you look like a wonderbread kind of guy, you know, white and okay. And it stuck. And so my first email address I had uh, back in the um, this mid nineties, late nineties, when the internet really started becoming a thing from a consumer standpoint for the general public um, was wonder at, you know, this, this small dial up ISP that I had at the time. And that one went kaput and I went to a bigger one. And that name was already taken by somebody else for an email address. And so I just threw on the year that I picked up the the Wonder name and and went to Wonder95. (laughs) And not exactly the most common, but not too long ago, this was a funny story. Uh, I got an email one day and it was a registration email for... Like a credit card or an account at a big online retailer or something like that. And, um, oh, take it back. That was my other name. I take that back. It's my other name. I use another one that's uh, my email has always been Killshot91. And people think, what well, do you like to shoot people? Are you a hunter? No, I was a diehard tournament racquetball player for years and years. And played tournaments, went to nationals, and played at the oh, open level, awesome. which is the top amateur level. I got to play pros once in a while. Yes, there are professional racquetball players. Um, but anybody who played racquetball recognized it as soon as they saw it. And one yeah. day, but one day I get this email to that email address that's signing up for something else using that email. And I see all this guy's <laughs> personal information. <laughs> I called him up, says, I think we got a problem here. Uh, I don't think you want to use my email address for this information. He's like, no, oh, sorry, it was uh, my address is the same thing at another provider like AOL or I, I forget which one it was. <clears throat> and so I called him and I talked to him. I said, just out of curiosity, where'd you uh, where'd you get that that name? And he goes, oh, I'm a hunter, and uh, um, that was the first time I went hunting. I got something on my first shot, and so my friends called me Kill Shot. And I said, let me guess, that was 1991, right? And he goes, yep. <laughs> But okay, that makes sense. It's sort of a funny story. So, all right, well, we're coming up on time here. We've been talking about quite a bit of stuff. So, we're looking forward to having David join me here on uh, Views on View coming up next week. We have a good interview uh, lined up. So, with that, we'll move on to picks. Picks are part of the show where we can talk about whatever we want, uh, whether it's tech, non tech, books, games, food, movies. You name it. I'm going to pick an article I found. This is on Hacker News. And this is uh, it's from space.com. So it has to do with astronomy. And that's astronomy and uh, cosmology are things that I've read about quite a bit over the past couple decades. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's been really well known is the successor to the Hubble telescope is the James Webb Space Telescope. And the clarity and the improved visuals that we're getting from the web as compared to the Hubble, just because of better optics and better technology and so on is, is just unreal. Some of the pictures you see are just amazing. And some of the discoveries they're finding, um, you know, things they're discovering is sort of have them questioning previously held theories in any number of fields, just because we didn't have this amount of detail, but uh, this one particular article on space.com talks about, the telescope finding two of the most distant galaxies ever seen. And the interesting thing is about it is they use a a tool called gravitational lensing. And I won't get into the details of that. I still don't comprehend it all myself. But it talks about how that it really uh, solidifies the Big Bang Theory. And what is described the big 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 bang theory describes yeah that fits how we would see planets forming fits the theory based on what we're seeing here with the Webb telescope. So I will put the uh, we'll put the link in the show notes and I can put it here on the screen for those that may or may not be watching. Uh, but it's really quite a, uh, a fascinating article to read if you're into that kind of stuff. And then, oops, sorry, wrong thing. Dad jokes of the week. So let's see. Oh, simple question here. Uh, if you're into camping, this is something to think about. Uh, what do bears call campers in sleeping bags? Burritos. Right? So <laughs> I, I missed my rim shots. Um, and then some random thoughts for the day that I found. Uh, questions and thoughts. If the earth is the third planet from the sun. Doesn't that make every country a third world country? Right. Um, and then one note, milking is taking milk, but watering is actually giving water. All right, so it's the taking versus giving. Um, all pregnant women are bodybuilders. Think about it, you're building a body. <laughs> and finally, needless to say, saying needless to say is needless to say. Nice. Right. Very good. So those are my picks and dad jokes of the week. What do you have for us, David?
1: Well, I do have one good joke that I I heard recently. Did you know that the dog to human years ratio is inaccurate? I did not. It's really just a rough estimate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Rough. Rough estimate. You know, it's like the talking dog. Hey, uh, where did uh, where'd that toy go? Roof. Oh, it's on the roof, you know. Yeah. I can't remember. That's just the one I remember. I'm have to. i going to have to look up the whole routine. Pretty good routine. All righty. So with that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for coming on uh, and listening to us ramble about histories and all the development tools out there. A little bit about you, but not too much. We will definitely get more into that down the road. Thanks, David, for joining us. Good to have you. And uh, we will talk at you next time on Views on View.